Hello and welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our history alive at the community level. I'm your spooky Halloween host, Dale Jarvis. Today on Living Heritage, something a little bit different. I've gone through the digital archives and I've pulled out some Halloween-appropriate tales for you to listen to. And we're going to start things off with what could be more perfect for Halloween, but a story of a Jackie Lantern. This is an interview with Andrew Parsons of Lush's Bite, interviewed by Hiram Silk on November 14th, 1986. Mr. Parsons, you told me you were born at Lush's Bite in 1895. Yes. And your father born there too? Yes. So Lush's Bite is an old settlement, isn't it? No, I'd say it was not over 170 years. There's a light. There used to be a light in our bay down there. What they call a weather light, I suppose. A weather light. Uh, Jack-o'-lantern used to be called. We used to see that one quite often. And what did you think of that? Was that a weather warning? I don't know what that was. And he was a big light. He was as big as half a barrel. Did you ever see near it? Yes, I've been right near it. And we had one man, Alvin Parsons, he was drowned in the vessel, coming from St. John's. He was coming down from Pillars Island, and he saw it out there part of Mile Hidevan. He knew all about the light. You see that lots of times. And he took chase after it in Mordwood. I'm kitchen you now and see what you is. <laughs> so what happened to him? <laughs> the light went ahead of him. Fast. Couldn't catch it. Mm. Oh, I've seen that lots of times, but haven't been seen lately. That was Mr. Andrew Parsons of Lush's Bite, recorded in 1986. Hiram Silk was a radio producer and broadcaster. He traveled across the island of Newfoundland collecting stories for radio programs. In January of 1986, he interviewed Jack Mansfield of Tilt Cove. Here, Jack discusses a ghost story from the community of Pilly's Island. You were telling me that you uh, were talking about ghost stories just now. You told me once you saw a ghost. Is that right? Oh, I did. We're here at Pilly's Island? Yeah, that was a woman. Tell yeah. me about it. What was what was the circumstance of that? I come down, what they called up there now, up in the route they called that place where you come down over Taylor's Hill. Mm-hmm. That's the route. I come down, I was going into Paddy Catons. So I was going to go. Anyway, and then I got in, I called that. Paddy had drink in there, see, and I was at the lame Stan Rice's now, Stan and me was drinking drink it all there. Mm. I was born in there now. Oh, I guess that's what it was. You had too much to drink. That's what you, that's what no. you saw, was it? No, I, I, I didn't have nothing at all. I thought I goes in there, I know I get him one. Oh, just I before I go home. That was getting up for twelve o'clock in the night, and I was supposed to be home. Sir, my father was living then. But anyway, he's in the door, waiting for me to come. He said, I thought you, <laughs> you were a sparrow. I said, oh, I like it then. <laughs> but like I said, I tell them, that's been seen there, he said, before. I said, what do you mean like that? He said, a woman been seen there lots of times. 
He said, you know what it's for? No, I said, I didn't know what it was, but her hair was just as white as mine. His old age, and I could see her hair parting in the center. I ended up with that. Mm-hmm. Did she come all of a sudden, or was she walked along with you? Or did you meet her in the road, or what? No, she was there coming towards me when I was when I was going up the grade. And how she do you know it wasn't some a, a real person? A dead person. A dead person. Oh yeah, she she was walking out. How do you know she was dead, Mister Mansfield? Eh? How do you know that it wasn't a real person, a living person? I know an old with a rig. She had on old-fashioned clothes. Yes. She had a listen what they call this nightdress, a long nightdress, right down, right down to her feet. And were you frightened then? You never frightened me one bit when I turned around and went on home. And you what? said other people have seen that, eh? Yes, two years ago they did. And I t- when I looked over my shoulder, she was facing the road, right up and down the road. When I looked over my shoulder, she was looking at me going down the road. She turned around. I know she turned around. Anyway, I, I put on her and get down as far as I could. See where she's going to go down the main road. She never went on the main road. She must have went back to the graveyard again, wherever the graveyard was. Who was she? Who did they think she was? Uh, Pride, Mrs. Pride. Was there any reason? Did she die tragically or...? No, she banished. No, I mean, you know, in real life, how did she die? Oh, Mr. Mrs. Pride died in her house. Mm-hmm. anyone well, I wonder why she came back, you know. What was the reason to see her spirit? Oh, I, I don't know what I know she but was for that, perhaps. Other people saw it, too. Yeah. Oh, yes. Lots of young, young men. Mm-hmm. But some get frightened and run away, frightened and then fade off and all this. You didn't. <laughs> I know In 2013, I was working on a project to record some supernatural stories from Bay Roberts and the surrounding area. And so I sat down with local historian Mike Flynn. He told me some great stories about people meeting the devil and places where the devil had left his footprints. And then he shared this story with me that I'm going to share with you now. In 1867, uh, now this was the first recorded shipwreck that I could find involving a Bay Roberts crew. Uh, the name of the schooner was the Antelope, and the skipper was Paddy Delaney. And he took a crew down to Labrador, and in the fall of the year he left to come back. And when he got up, Black Tickle, he, uh, a storm came up, so he sort of hove to for the night, but the ship dragged his anchor, the schooner dragged his anchor and started to go towards the rocks, and she went aground. And we had passengers aboard coming back from the stationers, the stationers in Labrador who were coming back with, so they panicked and they wanted to go ashore. He said, no, we're safer here, because there was a little island there, they wanted to go on this island with me. He said, no, you're safer staying aboard with me. He said, in the morning the tide will rise and I'll be able to move out of it. Anyway, they panicked, and they grabbed a couple of lifeboats, a couple of skiffs. There was 19 of them, including a couple of his crew members, and there were 19 men, women, and children went aboard that night, uh, went, uh, went ashore. Uh, overnight, uh, this horrible blizzard developed. Some say it was one of the worst blizzards ever in, on the Labrador coast. So the skipper, Paddy Delaney, was saying there's no way that they were going to survive during the night. So the next morning, he, uh, he asked another crew member to roll him ashore take a look around. And when he went ashore, he couldn't find anyone. So he, he rode back to the antelope, and the ship came free, of course, as he said it would. 
And he said, let's move in a little bit closer. And he moved in closer to the olive. And uh, he got out in his skiff again. Tried to navigate it in as close to the rocks as he could. And he sang out, is there anybody here who wants to go home? And with that, the skiff tipped to one side as if somebody was getting aboard. And in the next 10, ten minutes or so, it's tipped 18 more times. Then he rode back uh, to the antelope and they, they threw down his rope ladder and he said the rope ladder came tight 19 times. And apparently he was haunted by that the rest of his life. Uh, he, and uh, one of the, the guy who rode on the shore actually went mad. They say his hair turned white instantly, which you hear this a lot anyway. But his hair turned white instantly. I love that motif of the man's hair turning white overnight. It's a, an idea that repeats itself in a lot of traditional stories. It's not just older gentlemen that tell us stories. Young people are great fans of ghost stories as well. Between 2011 and 2013, I worked on a couple different projects involving students and getting them telling local ghost stories. I've got two of those, and I'm going to play them back to back. The first is by student Sarah Jackman, and the second is by student Jesse Rideout. Uh, my name's Sarah Jackman, and I'm in grade 8 at Larry's Brook Junior High. Um, this is a true story. Um, my mom's friend was asleep one night, and her dog was like asleep on the bottom of her bed. And the dog came up and started pawing at her shoulder. And she was like, you know, Jasper, it's okay, just go back to sleep. So she rolled over and she was looking like down at the floor. And she saw this girl. And it was, she was a little girl with like long blonde hair and she was wearing a white nightgown. And she said it looked like the, it was blowing. And she covered her face in the blankets because she was like, there's a ghost in my room. Like, oh, my God. So, and then when she looked again, she was gone. So she went and she checked on, like, her two kids to see if they were okay and they were fine. So she went back to bed and the dog had gone back down to the end of the bed and was asleep again. And then a couple days after she saw the ghost, her niece died. My name's Jesse Rideout, and this story took place in Upper Island Cove. Once there was two fishermen. They were very good friends, and in one winter, one of the fishermen found himself without any food, and he was sure to starve. Before spring came around, his buddy shared half of his only barrel of flour, which had kept him from dying. The following spring, the man who received the flour had been fishing and struck a jagged rock off the coast of Island Cove. He had drowned in the sinking of the ship. About a week after the man who gave his friend the flower was fishing in the same area his friend died at. The fog rolled in over his boat and he could see very little and didn't know where he was going. Suddenly, a large light flashed in the water near the rocks where his friend drowned. A ghostly figure of his friend appeared and said to him, The rocks, the rocks, in a very ghostly voice. The fisherman always said that his friend repaid him for the flower by saving his life. I've saved my favorite story to the end of the show. This is the late, great Alice Lannan, a wonderful storyteller from Placentia Bay, telling her story, Open, Open, Green House. This was recorded in 2010 as part of the 18th Annual Conference of the Storytellers of Canada Contour to Canada, which was held at Memorial University in St. John's. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm here to tell the story that was in our family 
told orally for over 200 years. My grandmother came from Lawn in Placentia Bay, and uh, the, she had a maiden aunt who lived in a place called Lancy Burke. I think it was a cove in Lawn. And Grandma had seven sisters and four brothers. And on Saturday night, they would have their bath in a wash tub, and their Aunt Ellen would come down and help the girls washing their hair. And when she combed it out, there was no such thing in those days as shampoo that eliminated tangles. So she would tell them the stories as she combed her hair so they would distract them and they wouldn't feel the pool on the tangles. And through the years, she told us the stories as well. See, when I was growing up, there wasn't much in an entertainment in a small outport. And people would gather at different people's houses and uh, tell ghost stories or stories about how they almost got lost hunting or fishing. And it was something that went on that we enjoyed as children. I guess it uh, taught us to be uh, good listeners. And Grandma used to tell us those stories all the time. Now, some of them were kind of scary, but we were used to, we knew they were only stories. And uh, one of the stories she told us was called, uh, she called it Open Open Greenhouse. It was a castle that was haunted and it had been painted green. And for many years, no one lived in it, uh, but there was a caretaker who went there every day and took care of the castle. And every year, there was a notice in the town office that if someone would stay three nights in the haunted castle, they would get a bag of gold. Maggie was only a young girl, 14, and her father was a carpenter, but he had hurt his back and couldn't work. So when she saw the offer of the bag of gold, she thought, if I could do that, I could get money for my father to go to a doctor and get his back cured. So she went into the town office and she said, uh, I'd like to spend three nights in the haunted castle. And the clerk said, oh, strong men have stayed there for three nights. For one night, they couldn't stay two even. So uh, she said, but I have a request. And the mayor said, yes, let her try. And she said, I want to take my little cat and dog with me and bring some apples to eat and some nuts to crack and my little dog and pussy cat. And they said, well, that's fine. You just can't have another person. So she got asked a neighbor to look in on her father and she told him she was going to spend the night with friends. And he was delighted for her because she was earning a bit of money by running errands and crocheting little cloths and selling them where he couldn't work. It was a meager living. And he was glad for her to have a, a friend to visit. So just before dark on the evening that she had to start, the caretaker met her at the door. It was on a hill. She climbed up the hill and he met her and he took her into a big ballroom. And uh, in one corner, there was like a small stage. There were some tables and lots of chairs around the sides and a big fireplace that was glowing. And he had the pile of logs near the fireplace and he told her to uh, 
keep, don't let it burn too low, just keep, when it burns down, put one or two logs back on. And the night uh, she curled up in the chair by the fireplace, the little dog at her feet, and the little cat in her lap, and nothing happened. Time passed and passed. She kept adding the logs to the fire. But just at midnight, uh, down the big door at the end of the uh, ballroom, someone called out, all alone, fair maid. And she said, all alone, I'm not. I have my apples to eat, my nuts to crack, my little dog pussy cat, and all alone, I'm not. And then the voice called out, open, open greenhouse and let the king's son in. And the door swung open. And in came six men carrying a canvas bag on their back. And behind them was the old witch. Then there was a band. And they came in, and the old witch directed them to the corner where the stage was. And uh, the men, she made the men put the uh, bag on a table, untie the straps, and handsome young man was lying there. She touched him with her hand, up he pup, set up, and Maggie fell in love with him almost immediately, such a handsome young prince. So uh, uh, he stepped down, and she motioned the band to start, and they played fast and furious, and she would only dance with the, the, the young man that came out of the bag. And he had princely robes on. So uh, they were fast and furious, and the crowd that followed, oh, they were skeletons, some missing arms and legs. One fella had no head, but he had a big eye in the middle of his chest that kept rolling over and over. And sometimes it would be blue, sometimes brown, sometimes black, sometimes only just bare white. And he danced and giggled and uh, as best he could. And uh, then there was uh, a fellow with a long leg and a short leg. And as he came in dancing, he used to jump on the chair, up on the table, down to the chair again, and he twirled around. And the music was fast and furious. And when the old witch saw Maggie there, she said, shook her fist at her, you go home, she said. You're not supposed to be here. And Maggie said, I'm staying. And uh, she said, you can't scare me. And as the witch and the young prince danced by, he looked over the witch's shoulder and he mouthed to Maggie, stay for three and I'll be free. Well, Maggie was convinced then she was going to stay for sure. <laughs> and uh, as night wore on, the, the wind came up and the shutters rattled, the wind blew and whistled down the chimney and around the corners. But she wasn't afraid. And uh, every time the old witch passed by, she would scowl at her and shake her fist, tell her to go home. But Maggie wasn't gone. And just before daylight, th 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 they heard a cock crow. She told the men, touched him with her wand, he went right stiff, put him down in the bag and tied it. And, uh, and then uh, all the crowd, she told the band to stop, and they all went out to the back door just before the sun peeped over the hill. So 
and they just disappear. So Maggie went to look to see where they went. There was a graveyard down a little ways down below. There was an incline going down, but then it was level. And this is where all the crowd went. Well, Maggie's house, well, nothing happened. And she, she was tired from being awake all night, so she took a nap in the chair until the caretaker came. She had to go to the town hall at 9 o'clock and report what happened. But she didn't say when they asked her. Oh, not much, she said. The wind rattled the shutters and the roar down the chimney. But she said, not much happened. And they were amazed. And all the people around were talking about Maggie, who was spending the night in the haunted castle, and how she said nothing happened. So the next night, the same thing. She went again. The caretaker met her and took her in. But that night, there was time to spare, so she wandered through the castle. And uh, there was a big uh, dining hall set with lace tablecloths, silverware, everything gleaming. But the tablecloths, were, they were lace, and they were beginning to get old and shabby. And the same thing with in the bedrooms, beautiful bedrooms, but the curtains were beginning to get frayed and old. And as she walked, she thought, there must have been some really good times held in this castle. So she went back, sat by the fire, the same thing happened, the wind, about 11 o'clock, the wind came up, and the shutters rattled, and uh, the wind whistled down the chimney, around the corners of the castle. And right on the street, the clock struck 12, and the old voice came out, all alone, fair maid. And she said, all alone, I'm not. I'm my apples to eat, my nuts to crack, my little dog and pussycat, and all alone, I'm not. And then the voice boomed out again, oh, mountain greenhouse, let the king's son in. So it was a repeat of the night before, only some of the creatures that came in behind her, they were even more horrible looking than the first night. So, but Maggie wasn't afraid, and... Uh, she did the same thing. The man went to the little stage, and the men laid the man on the, the bag on the table, untied the strings. There was no slippers in those days. <laughs> and uh, uh, the young man was lying there. As soon as the witch touched him, he sat up, slipped down, and she motioned the band to play, and they went twirling and whirling fast and furious around the room. And she was even madder at Maggie for staying that night. So she tried to make faces at her and uh, said she was going to chop off her head. And Maggie said, she can't hurt me. She wasn't afraid. And again, when they danced by, the prince said over the uh, witch's shoulder, he mouthed to her, stay for three and I'll be free. And he thanked her for staying the, the first night. So she was determined there's nobody going to scare her away. And it, they kept down the same procedures and all right long, coming uh, before daylight when the cock crowed, she got the men to put the man back in the bag. She touched him, he went right stiff. And they laid him in the bag, tied it up, put it under shoulders. The man stopped, and at first the ones with the, ba the man on their shoulders, they went out, then all the weird crew followed and went down over the hill. And the same thing, Maggie was so tired that she curled up and had a nap till the caretaker came, and she had to go to the town hall again. 
And the whole town was talking about Maggie staying at this haunted castle. And that she said nothing much happened. She didn't, didn't say what happened. So the third night, same thing, she'd repeat. She got someone looking on her father, and she went to uh, the castle just before six o'clock, and the caretaker was anxious to get out of there. So as soon as he had Maggie seated and the more logs for the fire, he left. And she was kind of expecting, she half knew what to expect, but she wondered what they would do. But this night, the old witch was more vicious. And she was, oh, she scowled and she grumbled at Maggie, you shouldn't be here, you should go home. Maggie said, I'm staying. And she made the motion that she would cut her head off. And Maggie thought, she can't hurt me. So uh, the night continued on, much the same as the night before. And again, when the young prince and the witch passed by, he mounted over his shoulder, thanks, and stay tonight, because I'll be free. And uh, so even though she tried harder, she even she would dance with the prince near the fireplace to make the smoke come out to sting Maggie's eyes. But Maggie just pushed the chair back and relaxed. And sometimes she was amused, especially with the guy with the rolling eye and uh, the fellow that uh, had the long leg and the short leg. He would hop up on a chair to the table and down, and he had a peculiar laugh as he was doing that. And he whirled and twirled. The skeletons, their bones rattled as they danced. And uh, so Maggie, you know, she half knew what was going to happen. But that night, the witch tried even more. She was nasty to, to Maggie. And the uh, same thing happened. They danced all night, furious, twirled and whirled. And the music was fast and furious. And coming on daylight, she, the old witch was so interested in trying to scare Maggie away, she didn't hear the cock crow. And before she knew it, the sun was peeping over the hill. And she motioned to the men to put the, the man back in the bag. But when she touched him, nothing happened. And everything came to a standstill. And they tried to go out the door. The old witch went up in a puff of smoke. And so did all the crew that was with her. They just disappeared. And he ran up and he hugged Maggie. And he said, I'm free, I'm free, thanks to you. And he told her that an old uh, witch years ago had fallen out with his father. And to punish him, he turned, uh, he made buddy like in a deep sleep or almost dead. But after seven years, the, the uh, curse was supposed to be up. And it was almost seven then. And, uh, he thanked Maggie for freeing him, and he said, I, my father was a noble man, and he said, I'm a prince. And he said, the ca uh, where we lived in that castle, there was many happy times, he said. His mother had lived there for years before she passed away. And then uh, he said, uh, about five miles away, he said, I have a sister who uh, lives in a house there, we'll go visit her. And uh, Maggie told him about her father had been ill and why she needed the bag of gold. So 
that morning, when the caretaker came, the two of them walked down to the town hall, and she introduced them as a prince who had been cursed to sleep for a long time. And uh, then she went home to her father, and Maggie was only 14, so he said, I'm going to fix up the castle and live there, and when Maggie is a couple of years older, I want to marry her. And the father was fine, so she dated him and saw him, and the father was pleased. And after a couple of years, they had a, got married and had a family and lived in the castle once more, the happy place that it had been years before. And he thanked uh, Maggie for being so brave to stay in the haunted house. And they all lived happily ever after. <laughs> And that's it for this special Halloween edition of Living Heritage. I'm your host, Dale Jarvis. Happy Halloween. Halloween.